Sunday, February the 18th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Today, as part of our Feasting February season, we're going to be talking about inviting others to the feast. It was great to have those verses read to us, but I don't know about you, when I hear the Bible, sometimes it feels more shocking than when I read it. They're quite hard and challenging verses, aren't they? So let's have a little bundle in. Our passage talks about the feast in the kingdom of God. It's explaining that there will be a feast at the end of times with God. The same story is told in the book of Matthew as well, and it's described as a wedding feast where the bridegroom, God, welcomes his bride, the family of God, to a feast in eternity. Very quickly, with your neighbour, what are you looking forward to eat at the feast at the end of eternity? Go. I am plugged in. Praise Jesus for my slides. Who's going to eat something sweet? Who's going to eat something savory? Who's going to go with something yummy to drink? Who's going with all of it? (laughs) Okay, that is an option. That is an option. This passage is describing the feast at the end of time, where we will sit with God and feast with him. The good news is you're invited. Oh, thanks, Elizabeth. She said, yay. The good news is you're all invited to this feast with God. And it's described beautifully at the end of Revelation Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the men, uh, from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with all people and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah. You are invited to a feast for all eternity with God. And not only will the food be great, the company will be great because God will be right there 
with us. But not only will the food and the company be great, it will be great because there'll be no more sickness and no more sadness, no more tears cried, no more death, no more weeping, no more pain. What a beautiful picture of what we're invited to. I absolutely loved singing that old Matt Redmond song today, Blessed, um, Better is One Day in Your Courts Than a Thousand Elsewhere. In fact, and I don't know why I remember this, but the first Sunday I ever came to this church, 23 years ago, we sang that song. <laughs> so it felt quite nice singing it again. But it is about being welcomed into the courts, being invited into the feast. So in Luke, the passage we just read, it said, Blessed is the person who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed basically means it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be brilliant. You are invited to feast for all eternity with God. But the good news is it isn't just for then. I mean, that is our future. It is secure. But it says, come, for everything is now ready. The invitation isn't that you just wait till your end of days and then you get to feast with God. The invitation is that there is a feast of God ready for us right now. That actually, you don't have to wait to heaven to experience God with you. He's here with us right now. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to experience his forgiveness and his grace. His forgiveness and grace is ready for us right now. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to experience his healing and his hope. He wants to give that to us right now. I could get excited about that. He wants to give it to us right now. You're invited to the feast for all eternity, but you're invited to feast on the good things of God right now. Come, for everything is now ready. You're invited. You're invited. I'm going to pause and we're just going to pray. Lord, thank you for your invitation. I choose to worship. I choose to come into your presence Thank you for your invitation, for being with you for all eternity. But thank you also for the invitation that you invite me to come and be with you right now. That your gifts are for right now as well. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. The passage though has a darker side. And I guess that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today in some ways. Because sadly, not all who are invited will come. If we look in uh, verses 18 to 20, and I love the excuses that are given. The first said, I've just brought a field, I must go see it. The second one says, I've brought five yokes of oxen. Sounds quite a lot, doesn't it? Third one, I've just got married, sorry, I can't come. There's many excuses given. They're too busy. They're putting their businesses first. They don't understand the invitation that they are being invited to. You see, all are invited, but not all will come. It's a bit depressing. Theologically, it's sobering, isn't it? You know, if we put our kind of brains on and go, well, not all will respond to the invitation of God. Theologically, that's hard. But actually, let's think a bit more personally. I can think of loads of people I've traveled with and helped them understand about their faith. 
And they've still said no to the invitation. I've led Alpha courses and Christianity Explore courses where we've got to that point and people have said, no, I don't think this is for me. They seemed keen, but now they aren't. I think as an evangelist, it's one of the hardest things to face. The sadness when someone rejects the invitation to follow Jesus. And why is it sad? It's sad because of who those people are, their friends, their family. But it's sad because I know how much difference God makes in my life. And I am desperate for my friends and family to know that. I long for them to know that their life is safe in God's hands. I long for them to know that whatever they face, however hard life is, God is with them. And so it's hard, isn't it? This fact that not all the invited will come is really quite hard. But I'm sobered by the fact that my sadness isn't a patch on what God's sadness is. God understands. God feels that too. His love for those who are lost led him to send Jesus to the cross. His perseverance for the lost is unfathomable. The passages after the ones we've just read in Luke talk about the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. All examples of the lengths that God will go to, to go to the lost people of this world. God's grace for those who keep rejecting him is amazing. Is amazing and beautiful. I remember a prayer room a few years ago. We were in the top room and there was a big cross set up. And we were encouraged to name people that we were praying for to become uh, Christians, to be welcomed in around the table, to respond to the invitation. And I was putting a name at the cross and all of a sudden I realized this was somebody who had said no repeatedly over the last six months. And God was saying clearly to me, Claire, leave that person with me. You've done enough. You've done enough. It was someone I loved very much, but it was somebody who had had every opportunity to explore who God was, but they didn't want to. They just didn't want to. And I felt a bit responsible for that because I was their Christian friend and I should be the one helping them to know Jesus. I felt responsible, overly responsible. But God said to me, Claire, leave them with me. You've planted the seeds I've asked you to plant. Now leave them with me. And I wrote in my journal on that day, and God knows how I feel. And he did. He knew I was sad about that. He, was knew, he knew that person better than I did. And he longed for that person to respond to his invitation. But he didn't. I feel sad about that. And I'm sure we've all got stories that are the same. And one of the things I reflected on during my sabbatical was that because of some of those experiences I've had, I can lose confidence in doing it again with other people. That often, um, when you've walked with someone and they decide not to follow Jesus, you leave them with God, but actually then you feel next time, do you know what, I'm not sure I'm going to bother. Or actually, I've lost confidence because if they didn't respond to the message of Jesus, why would this person respond to the message of Jesus? Surely if that person won't, no one will. We can easily lose confidence to share the invitation. We can easily 
feel disappointed and disillusioned about the journey we had with this person. So we never, ever try and do it again. And I think this is how I felt at sabbatical. There were more disappointments than stories of salvation. And it was taking its toll on me. So I acknowledged that before God. And I said, God, do you know what? The way you've made me is to live telling people about Jesus. I know the difference he made to my life. I want other people to know. And so God put all these kind of people in front of me who were doing amazing things about sharing Jesus. One of my friends who I met for the first time, who I now consider a great friend, Rachel, she uh, started inviting two of her female friends to her house to read the Bible. And uh, she said it was a brave ask. One of them turned up. And she started reading the Bible with them. Every Monday now, her house is filled with 17 women reading the Bible together. And these are not Christians. These are amazing people who are hungry for Jesus. And they've had nine baptisms out of that group just from the fact she invited one to read the Bible. So I said, thinking, oh, do you show nice videos? Tell people about Jesus? You know, what do you do? She goes, no, no, just read the Bible. I went, Okay, do you have a nice talk plan? No, no, just read the Bible. I'm like, wow, it's amazing. So as I started hanging out with these people, I came across something that I think is really important. And it's in these next verses in Luke. Go out into the streets and alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, I've done what you've ordered, but there's still room. Then the master told the servants, go out into the road and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I have to choose to not let disappointment and sadness erode my confidence in inviting people to meet Jesus. God says, okay, you'll hear lots of excuses why people don't want to follow Jesus. That's between me and them. Leave them with me, but keep inviting Keep inviting. And this led me to find a piece of research that was done last year, which we're going to wander through now. Now, if you like stats, this will be your thing. If you like Jesus, this will be your thing. So we're all good. What I want you to do as I share some of these stats is to think what catches your attention, because you're going to have to talk about it with the person you're sat next to in a few moments. I'm happy to uh, put slides back up again while you're talking, if that's helpful. But why am I sharing this? I read this piece of research called Talking Jesus through my sabbatical, and my confidence in sharing Jesus grew like that. And why? Because I said to God, I'm not going to stop inviting. And then this research came along, and I think it's going to inspire you guys as well. So if you like research, this research was done in 2017, and then again in uh, 2022. They were going to do it in 2020. We all know what happened. Um, So they did it in 2022. This is for all you kind of sample people who love to know this. It's 4,000 UK adults because it was an investigation that was um, into kind of practicing Christians as well. They were able to put a boost sample of Christians into it. But apparently in stats terms, 4,000 people is enough to give you a really good kind of understanding of what's going on. Remember, you're looking for things that catch your attention. Along with the census information... They discovered that about 6,000 
uh, sorry, 6% of the UK population were practicing Christians. Practicing means they go to church once a month and they read their Bible once a week and they would call themselves a Christian. It's quite a low bar, really, but that's where it's at. 42% of the world, would, of the UK, would say they're non-practicing Christians. So they don't go to church, don't read their Bible once a month, and they potentially would call themselves Christian in name. We're a Christian country and all of that. The next question, though, how would people describe Jesus? And they were given these options. God in human form, who lived amongst people in the first century. God is the word in there. A normal human being, a prophet, a spiritual leader, but not God, other and don't know. So 6% of people call themselves a practicing Christian, but 20% of people asked said they thought Jesus was God. That's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. The writers of the report straight away just put a line in there that said, we're seeing signs that there's a spiritual hunger in our world. Bear with us. Then they asked about the resurrection coming up to Easter, aren't we? 16% of people, remember only six were saying they were professing to be Christians believe that the resurrection of Jesus happened word for word as described in the Bible. That's 10% more than the practicing Christians. 29% thought that the resurrection of Jesus did happen, but that perhaps the stories in the Bible had some, uh, some non-truths in it. Or, but they thought that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. So I make that 40, what did I write it down? 45% of people asked, believe that Jesus came back from the dead. I can see you all looking at me like, this is a bit strange, isn't it? This is a bit strange. Even more interesting about this one, they managed to break it down into age groups. Um, Those over 55 were less likely to believe in the resurrection than those under 55. And in fact, the younger they were, the more likely they were believing in a resurrected Jesus. Hold that thought. You're all looking at me. It's very interesting faces going on. There were some other questions asked. Where would you go to find out about the Christian faith? Can you see that's a bit small? You might need your glasses on. Um, 15% would talk to a friend or family member who is a Christian. Unsurprisingly, most people go to Google. Everyone goes to Google for everything, don't they? But the other big stat on there, which surprised me quite a lot, was they'd go to the Bible. 22% of people would go to the Bible to find out about Jesus. Now, that's almost as many as going to Google. Hold that thought. How many people knew a practicing Christian out of that group? 53% knew somebody who was a Christian. That's quite a high number, isn't it? If you think about the fact that uh, we have some influence with our friends and family, just a little bit, 53% of them know a practicing Christian. Now, I think the bad news is that 42% don't know a practicing Christian. Right? So either they do know and we're not telling them we're a practicing Christian. That's one option. Number two, perhaps we need to make sure we're not always busy doing church stuff, but actually we're in that tennis club 
or we're being faithful in our school, or we're sharing our faith uh, at work. That's an interesting stat, isn't it? Now, this is a nice one. You're going to like this one. How would non-Christians describe the Christian that they know? Now, you might feel like the media and other people think that we're not very nice. This shows otherwise. Non-Christians like us. Thank you. They describe us as caring and friendly, encouraging and hopeful and good-humoured and generous and authentic. Few people didn't know. (laughs) That's a shame. But actually, the other figures that are a bit worse, you know, hypocritical, unhappy, only 4% thought that Christians were unhappy. That's good, isn't it? Hurtful, homophobic, narrow-minded. It's quite encouraging picture. Before I get to the next slide, let's just summarize. There is a spiritual hunger out there, friends. There is a spiritual hunger And there is a desperation among some people to have an understanding of what this life is about. We'll come to those questions in a minute. And people are looking. People are looking for answers. And they're looking to their Christian friends. They're looking on Google. And they're looking in the Bible. Wow. The next stat, though, isn't, I think, so brilliant. This is how our non-Christian friends see us as Christians. Sadly, the question that was asked was how do non-Christians describe the Christian church? Quite a big difference, isn't it? Quite a big difference. So we're still caring and friendly, which is nice, kind of generous, kind of generous. But quite a few of us were described that would describe the Christian church as hypocritical or narrow-minded. Now, we could go down that rabbit hole if you fancied that for fun. But isn't it interesting that non-Christians are seeing Christians in such a positive light, but the church of Christ in a less positive light? If you've hung around here at Burlington long enough, I'm hoping you'll understand, therefore, why we are working in the way that we are. Our strategy here at Burlington to invite people to the feast is never about inviting people to church. We love our gatherings. We enjoy our celebrations. We know how important they are. Being family together is absolutely what God asks of us. But most people who join us and who find out about Jesus do so because they get to know one of us first. Most of the people who come to find out about Jesus come because you have been faithful with them probably for a number of years. One of the reasons that they would eventually come into this space on a Sunday or a Christmas service or whatever it is, isn't because I do a nice flyer and you go, lovely, Claire, thank you for that. It's because you are being faithful in inviting people, because you are sharing life with people, because you are in the tennis club, because you are being faithful at work, because you are being kind and generous and loving in your every single day lives. 
And this stat shows that that's right. Because I hope that when someone does come into our church family, they soon realise we're not actually hypocritical or narrow-minded. Right, I'm giving you lots of stats. I'm looking at your faces and thinking I've given you a bit to think about. Hopefully you're sat next to someone you like. What stats caused you to think? Which one surprised you? Which one encouraged you? Which one would you like to talk about? You've got five minutes with your neighbour to just unpack this a little bit. Oh, Becky didn't have anyone to sit next to. Oh, if you haven't got someone, move. <laughs> You've got five minutes. If you would like any of those stats back up on the screen, just come and see me and I'll find the slide to put you back up. Go.
I've made Steve run, but you've only got one minute left. Okay, just begin to bring your conversations to a close. Remember, we can carry these conversations on into coffee. So point one, everybody is invited. Everybody is invited. Point two... Let's not be despondent when people don't accept the invitation. Let's keep being inviting. Point three, presently the evidence of what the spiritual landscape in the UK is, it is suggesting that we have a very open to Christianity spiritual climate. That's different. That's different to where we were 20 years ago. There is a change. Number five, that encourages me. That encourages me that there is a spiritual openness in our world. And Jesus asks each of us to keep inviting. So shall we do it? Okay, a few of you are yes. We've got a few more slides that might encourage all of us to be yes. Okay. Christians were asked, how confident are you in sharing the gospel? Okay, little round circles. 75% of the Christians asked said that they felt it was every Christian's responsibility to talk to non-Christians about Jesus. So, I'm hoping that's at least 75% of us. If you're in the other 25%, come chat with me for a bit longer and I'll see what I can do about that. 77% which is a bemusing number feel confident to talk to non-Christians about Jesus Christ so 2% don't believe that they should be but they do actually feel confident in it it's a bit strange figure isn't it but anyway I thought that was quite high I was mildly encouraged by that however 40% didn't talk to their non-Christians about Jesus because they didn't feel able to answer the difficult questions. And that is a real fear for some of us, isn't it? That actually they might ask something that we don't know. They might want to talk about the theology of suffering or the end times. or And you, I don't know the answers to that. So therefore you don't start the conversation. One of the things I'm just going to throw out to you now is your story carries way more weight than anything else in this. So if you don't know the answer to the question, you can say, I don't know the answer to the question about suffering, but let me tell you about a moment I was suffering where God was with me. That's just a little side part, okay? Just have that for free. This was sad. 42% of people didn't feel they knew a Christian, a non-Christian well enough to talk to them about Jesus. That's a high figure, I think. And so as I just said, 
It's about us being in the places where the non-Christians are. It's about making sure we spend time with them, that we invite them around our tables or go for a walk or a coffee or whatever it is, going to the art class, playing tennis, being with them and intentionally with them in our workplaces and our schools. This is an interesting stat. So they managed to do ages as well, work out who was who. And they asked the Christians, what age did you come to faith? Wow. We need to pray, especially for parents, grandparents, significant adults with children and young people in their lives. We need to pray for the youth team, our kids workers, who are all busy doing stuff right now. They're the ones they are inviting that younger age. We need to pray for them. Under 18 is still the most crucial time for people coming to faith. And me and Joel were just having a chat. There's another piece of research uh, that is worldwide, done by the Barna Trust. And Joel, why don't you just quickly share that with us? Is it on? There you go. Hello. Awesome. There's a piece of research that was done in 2022 by a load of global charities, Alpha, Barna Research, on Gen Z and Gen Alpha, so basically anyone under 18. And the research, loads of really interesting stuff, but the main thing was, was this next two generations that are coming up are the most open generations to faith ever recorded in any research. So actually, these next under-18s right now are more open to conversations, more open to talking about faith than any generation before has ever been recorded. There's a hunger there, but also the other side of that is that those that under-18s can't be put in a box. So if we try and tell them to be religious, or if we try and tell them to live by rules before relationship, they'll run. But actually talking about it and opening relationships, they're all for. But when we try and put them into a religious church-like box, they'll be gone quicker than you can imagine. (laughs) Thanks, Joel. I suspect that if we were to raise hands right now, a lot of us would be in the same kind of grass. There's a challenge, I think, for those over 55 Um, actually my age group I'm still in the 44 brilliant I'm still 35 brilliant Richard's age group 3% quite chat oh I like these stats even more now this is all good Richard's age group are really hard over 55 really hard to share Jesus with people less people coming to know faith And 1% didn't know when they became a Christian. I don't know quite how that works. (laughs) I don't know. What did they do? I don't know. I just have been. It wasn't from birth. It was, I don't know. So, research done. Research done. I'm coming into land. Where does this leave us right now? Where does this leave us right now? Why have I shared all those stats? I came away from listening to people about this research and reading it myself. I can point you into directions if you would like on some more. Feeling more committed than ever that I'm going to invite people to the feast with Jesus. 
I came away, having read that, feeling more encouraged and more excited that perhaps the world might want to be invited. No longer, standing on these stats, could I say my friends don't want to know. I think they do. And I kind of hope they might engage in a conversation with me. But if we go back to Luke chapter 14... I think it's important that we ask God, help me, God, to leave those invited with you. If I can leave those who I've invited but haven't responded to the message with God, then I can carry on being confident about inviting other people. I think as I was preparing, this was probably what I felt God wanted us to hear today that actually for some of us we're not feeling confident to share the message of God because of pain and hurt and sadness that we have about those that we've tried with, those that we have invited, those that have said no, those that have walked away. So help me, God, to leave those invited with you. It is God who saves, not Claire. If only it was me, it'd be a lot easier. It is God who saves. Second part of that story, though, is about renewing in us a humble and serving inviting spirit. So that first passage that Steve read to us at the beginning, it basically said, don't go and sit at the top of the table, sit at the bottom of the table and serve. Those stats said that Christians are seen as kind, generous, caring and compassionate. That's what I want to be known as. I want to be kind. I want to be overly generous to those who don't know Jesus. And why? Because that's what God is to us. That's what God is to us. So God, help me leave those with you that I've invited but haven't responded and renew in me this humble, servant-hearted nature. But also a challenge for all of us as a church. Let's change those stats from being seen negatively to being a church that is generous, being a church that's humble, that serves, that loves. That's our heart. That's who we want to be. Thirdly, let's say yes to the opportunities that we have. Uh, There's lots of Bible passages, but these are two that basically say make the most of every opportunity you're given. Now, this isn't a talk on how to share your faith. I can do you a number of those if you want. I will happily have a coffee with you if you would like to talk about that, or we can have more talks about this. But there is a yes we all need to say, a yes to sharing our faith. And the more yeses you give to God, the more he asks. That's my experience. But it isn't just a yes to being courageous and sharing your story or talking about Jesus or giving someone a Bible. It's a yes to praying for our friends. It's a yes for serving them by praying for them. We can all do that, whether we're comfortable and confident in our faith or not. We can quietly, whilst we're cleaning our teeth every morning, pray for three friends to come to know Jesus. Let's say yes to the opportunities to pray for our friends. And finally, let's ask God for some confidence. 
Those stats give me confidence. But that's not a patch on the confidence that God can give me. Lord, as I go to the supermarket tomorrow, give me confidence to take every opportunity. I'm going to Slimming World at the moment. I hate it. But I'm now talking to three people in that space about Jesus. Okay? And that's not because I'm doing anything good than other than standing there and being grumpy about being at Slimming World. But one lady said to me last week, it's Valentine's Day next week, Claire. Any, any Bible passages you know about love? Oh, yes. <laughs> All right, then where do we begin? It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Just in the Slimming World queue, which I hate. It's amazing. It's amazing what God can do. We need to keep asking him for confidence. Let's pause. A lot of information. Maybe you just want to close your eyes for a moment. Maybe the band want to join me. A lot of information. A lot of challenge. A lot of invitations. Perhaps you're still stuck on the first couple of minutes and you're wondering whether you've responded to the invitation to follow Jesus. Honestly, best yes I've ever made. Best yes I've ever made. Perhaps you're in that place of knowing you need to leave some people with Jesus again. Knowing you've planted the seeds You've been faithful in sharing who God is. But right now you need God's help to leave those people with him. Maybe you're in a third category, which is basically saying, Lord, I've lost a bit of confidence. Inspire me again. Help me again to be brave and courageous in sharing my faith. If you're in any of those three categories right now, why don't you just stand? Everyone's got their eyes closed. Why don't you just stand with me? We're going to pray. So maybe you're saying yes to the invitation, or you're asking God for confidence, or you're wanting to leave someone at the cross with him. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, I'm asking that in this moment, you will do what only you can do, which is to meet with us and meet our deepest needs. Some of us are standing here because we want to say yes to your invitation, perhaps for the first time. Say yes. I want to be known as someone who is yours. Someone who will be at that feast for all eternity, but also gets to feast on you for the rest of our lives. I say yes to you, Lord. And some of us have stood here because we want to leave someone with you. We also want to leave the pain and the disappointment with you as well. So why don't you just whisper their names before the God who loves you.
Some of us are standing again because we need your confidence in our lives. Confidence to pray differently. Confidence to share you naturally. Confidence to once again go to the places you ask us to. To have the conversations that you are speaking in our ears. Confidence to make time and be intentional with the non-Christians in our lives. Holy Spirit, come and empower us today so that we may be your hands and feet. That we may be your servants who show love and compassion and joy and grace. Why don't we all stand? And we're going to respond in song together. We're going to worship God. Let's stay in this attitude of prayer. Let's stay as we sing in a receiving mode because God has good gifts for us right now as we sing his praise together. Let's sing.